If you will, speaking where he wants us, he wants us because we started this journey to continue tonight in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, as I mentioned last week, or two weeks ago now, uh, we were out last week, but uh, two weeks ago we talked about the fact that this chapter really is kind of like a prize fight, a verbal debate that's going on, and the moment is upon us for round two, if you will, and so the battle continues. Look with me again in this passage, beginning in, again in eight, John 8, chapter 8, and verse 21. Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Now remember, they had asked a similar question a couple of chapters prior, and they thought he was going into the area of the Gentiles, what was called by the Jews the diaspora. That's where when the uh, Jews scattered out of the, the homeland, out of the promised land, uh, especially after and during the time of the Babylonian exile, uh, that's the, the extended, that's the, the way the, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world at the time. That was what they called those outside the homeland were part of the diaspora. And so he's, they kind of concluded, well, he's not talking about the fact that he's going somewhere else geographically. So now they're thinking philosophically, and they're asking, is he indicating that he's going to kill himself? Well, look with me again as we continue. They think this because he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 23, and he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are not of this world, or excuse me, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he That word he, for most of your translations, will have an italicized print. uh, And that is an indication that it's it's helpful for the logic, but it is not in the language of the New Testament or the writing of the uh, most authoritative uh, autographs that we have or the uh, copies of the autographs that we have. You will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Again, he is in italics. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful example that we have. But most importantly... (laughs) the matchless Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray as we look into the Word, into this Gospel of John chapter 8 tonight, that you would open our eyes and it would be Him that we see, that He would manifest Himself 
Lord Jesus, we invite you to come by the power of the Holy Spirit into this place and speak not just um, the words that, that a man could say, but Father, impress upon us truth by your Holy Spirit that not only glorifies the Lord Jesus, but honors the Father as well. May you, again, be glorified in our hearts, in our minds, and in our understanding tonight. In Christ's name I pray, amen. First of all, as we continue this round two, the battle that is going on between Jesus and his skeptics, we first of all see that Jesus uh, comes out fighting, if you will, in this second part of the chapter. In verse 21, he begins again with this statement. I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Now, this word here, sin, is singular. And it is important because it turns again in a moment when he uses the word later. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, here's the, the really forceful part of this first punch. A, a prize fighter will, will often jab, 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 and then punch and to throw his opponent off. And that's really the kind of the verbal uh, approach that Jesus is taking. There's four movements in this first uh, uh, opening of the chapter of this part of the chapter in this second round of the debate. And so first of all, we, he lands a jab, a hard jab, in the sense that he's calling to point their condemned nature, their condemned nature. Now, I want to share with you, I had the joy this afternoon of uh, uh, going by one of our local hospitals and and a, a, bro, a stepbrother of one of our dear members, a very involved family, but, but this stepbrother has been away from the Lord and, and has apparently had for about a year a battle with cancer, and now he's been just deteriorating physically. And uh, I didn't really know what I was going to be able to do or be able to even get to him as a matter of, of record because I, couldn't, I didn't even have enough information to know exactly what was going on. But I walked into the room, and he was... Uh, cognizant of what was going on, very alert, uh, obviously had had a bunch of falls because of the nature of his illness, had, had caused uh, lack of blood flow to his brain, the heart is weakening, and for a lot of reasons the lungs aren't functioning well, and it's just a, a hard situation physically. And uh, as I looked at him, he was just, you know, looked like he had been in a prize fight of his own. And it was just tragic, and it, but yet as we started talking, it was obvious he was uh, glad for a visitor, I think, if, at all, besides somebody in, well, I look like this. I don't, I don't know if that's more or, or better or worse than a, a white gown from a, a doctor. Uh, but uh, he welcomed me. We talked, and I got to share the gospel with him. Now, I'm grateful for that. But one of the things that, and I, I wish I could tell you, and he prayed to receive Christ. I think the man has been close to the gospel, and, and I believe he is now, again, close to the gospel. Close to the kingdom, as Jesus would say, but you pray. I'm just going to tell you his first name is James, if you'll pray with me. Uh, I don't know exactly if I'll get to see him tomorrow, maybe, if he's still there, but uh, uh, the plans are from doctors right now that he'll be put on hospice in his home. Uh, so just pray, I, and he even gave me his address, so you know that went well. You know, if, if the preacher gets your home address and you're not even a member, that's, that's pretty good. Um, so... Uh, we're grateful for that, but the reality is, as we begin to talk about this thing called 
the gospel, as we began to talk about Christ, the, the necessity in my heart, it was very apparent. Lord, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get an opportunity with this man again. I don't know if he'll get an opportunity again. I need to be very clear and very direct. I don't have to be unkind. I don't have to be uh, you know, harsh, but I do need to be clear. And so, Lord, take away all things that would detract or derail that. And as I was looking at him and beginning that conversation and asking him just a little bit about himself and, and his connection with some of our folks family-wise, I was just praying, Lord, whatever happens, we're going to follow your lead, but keep me simple. Don't let me complicate things. But one of the first things I have to do in any conversation, when you share the gospel, is you have to help people understand that they're lost. You know, There's no use in throwing out a, a life ring off the side of a ship if the person in the, who's drowning doesn't know they're drowning or won't admit that they're drowning. You know, if they're going under for the third time, they're going, oh, no, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. <laughs> You're like, okay. You, don't, you obviously don't see the problem. So first of all, we have to help people understand the problem. The problem is sin. And uh, as I shared uh, this past week, uh, weekend in the lesson that we had uh, in life groups, I have a wonderful group of, of grandchildren. Love them. You've heard me talk about them. But uh, one of them, my, my grandson, Jack, four-year-old, he was having a bad day Saturday. I mean, a bad day. You know, he, he, <laughs> he was illustrating the congenital defect that I handed down to his mother, and then she handed apparently down to him, and it's called sin. Okay? It wasn't that he didn't understand. He understood perfectly what his mother was telling him, but he just had an other idea. Okay? <laughs> All day long. Whatever her idea was, he had a different idea. You know, one of those days. But we have to come to understand that while I love my grandson, he has not yet come to know Christ. And his greatest problem, whether he can articulate it or understand it just yet in any sense or not, is that he's a sinner. He was born that way. Why does he have a day like that? Because he's a sinner. Days like that don't make him a sinner. They, realize, they, they, they illustrate that he's already a sinner. And we had to talk through that with this man, James, this afternoon. He, had, he told me a little bit about his background. He'd been around church as a, as a young man. His family had moved around quite frequently for many of his growing up years. And it seemed like he would, they would get involved in a new church every time they moved to a new town or a new city. And, and he said, you know, I, I think I got baptized three or four times. <laughs> well, for this Baptist preacher, that was a clue, all right, that maybe we need to talk deeper about what that all involves. And, uh, and as we did, I, I, again, came back to, you know, I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate your, you know, being willing to share that. And he was the whole time, even as we were leaving. He was very kind, very appreciative, very open, just not ready to receive Christ. But the first thing I had to do was say, listen, you can't go to heaven as a sinner. And that's what these men were being told, very bluntly. These religious elite, these skeptics, of who the Messiah before them really was, had to be told, you cannot come with me. It's not that they, they, they couldn't fundamentally, that no one who was listening could come to heaven, but these men who were battling him, who were skeptically uh, asking him questions, all of that had to be answered with, I want to just make clear, I'm laying down the first uh, point of this round too. I'm taking the first hit 
And I'm telling you, you are condemned already. It is your nature because of sin. You see, Jesus Christ was talking about he was going away. Yes, he was talking in that, even in that moment about his own death. Now, he wasn't threatening suicide like they suppose, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But he was going to die for sin, but he told them, you're going to die in your sin. And there's a vast difference with those two prepositions. You see, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. But those men, skeptical of the very God of very God standing before them, (laughs) were going to die in their sin, not because they had to, but because they rejected the truth standing right before them. Second punch that Jesus lands against these skeptics' philosophy. Look with me again in verse 23 and 24. It says, And he was saying to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Now, what he's talking about here is not just the nature of the individual, but the system in which they were living and were consumed by. Not only did they have a condemned nature, they had a consumed nature. They were all about the world. They were all about this life, the physical, the literal, the practical, the pragmatic. They were always looking at the externals. And he was saying it's not about the externals. You can be as religious as anyone you say, boy, that person, you know, uh, I think it was this morning at the uh, Richard Seifert funeral that we held here. Uh, one of the people that I was talking to afterwards was talking about, yeah, I went to, I went to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> I knew that. I know that feeling. I grew up that way. I'm like the old preacher joke, you know, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to church every week, you know. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't know anything except go to school, go home, or go to church. That was where we went, all right? My dad was uh, a deacon uh, before he was married. Uh, it was already ordained as a deacon. My mom and he were actively and still, we'll celebrate this uh, a week and a half from now, we'll celebrate his 80th birthday, and he is still as active as ever. Uh, in a different way, but still very active for his age and and physical ability. Uh, Mom, I (laughs) I knew more Baptist acronyms than anybody at Union University as a freshman, okay? I knew what WMU and RAs and GAs, I knew my mom was on the state board of the Women's Union, Women's Missionary Union when I was growing up. I knew what the commission magazine was. I knew uh, my mom, she had a half bath right off their little bedroom, and, and that was her prayer closet. Now, you can imagine there's only so much space in a bathroom, in a half bath, but that little bathroom had the, the fixtures and it had a basket. And never was there a time as I would, my brother and I would go in to uh, take the, the garbage out for that week or that every two or twice a week, whatever it was. And we'd always see the newest uh, commission magazine. Why? Because back then they would print, because obviously in dangerous areas we don't do that anymore, but they would print the birthdays of missionaries who were serving Southern Baptists around the world. And my mom daily would be praying for missionaries. And maybe that, that, that God gave her two preacher boys as, as sons, uh, and we're grateful for that heritage. But listen, there was never, if there was something going on at church, nothing else really mattered, okay? Now, 
I love my parents, and I can tell you with great affection and great benevolence and great appreciation, they were legalists. <laughs> okay? Okay? Just telling you. I mean, not, that I, not, that, not in a bad way, not in a mean-spirited way, not in a pharisaical way, but they were legalists. All right? And are. <laughs> I'll tell them that if I want them to know. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is that all of, they, they had the real deal as well. The, what Jesus was talking about here is people who were rejecting the very truth that was being told them by Jesus, even though they were hearing, they were not comprehending. Not because they couldn't, not because they were fundamentally or physically or physiologically unable to understand, but because they were spiritually unwilling. Why? Because they loved the world and the world system, and they could not and would not except the truth before them, and thus they could not go after where he was going. They would not be with him, could not be with him, because they held on to this condemned and consumed nature that they had. Third punch comes. Look with me in verse 25. The second part of verse 25 picks up, and it says, uh, there, Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? Ha, you know, they're... They're like, the question is, who are you? And we'll get back to that in a moment. But his response to them is this third jab. I've been saying this to you all along. And he says in verse 26, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. Now, what he's saying is... <laughs> You guys have asked me a question right there in the first part of verse 25. They said, who are you? Why? They're, they're wanting to know what is his pedigree. What are his credentials? Who is, who is your uh, lineage that you come from? How do you get the authority to speak? They're asking for some title, some affirmation, some accreditation that in their mind, what we would call those things, they're wanting somebody outside him who they already believe is on their team, is on their wavelength, to say, yes, he's reliable, before they'll even listen. Now, they're hearing truth. They're hearing truth over and over and over again, but simply because they cannot get him to admit who his what his credentials are or who, where his lineage lies, they say, well, we can't, you know, we, we, we're intrigued, but we can't believe you. We can't trust you. We can't, we can't respond in any positive way. Because, and he's like, wait a minute, I've been telling you who I am all along. I've been revealed. It's the truth that I've been telling you that reveals exactly who I am. I am, he repeats in this passage several times. I am. Now that's what really hair-lipped the devil with these guys. I mean, it really, really bothered them. that they, they, they knew what he was saying, but they could not affirm in any way, even though everything he was saying was right. They could not confound his wisdom. They could not, they could not detract from the truth that he was saying. And yet, while everything was obviously and patently true, they would not receive him. Why? <laughs> not only because of their condemned nature as sinners, and not only because they were consumed with the world, but because they were careless. They were careless. 
I've been asking you, as you all have kind of been spectators to this last few weeks of we, we have uh, moved into a new home and, and uh, they're in Oakland and, and uh, the real estate agent that helped us representing the builder, developer, whatever, really good guy, the, everything worked out. He, he was true to the word. We're, we're very grateful for that. But we began, even as we were getting the whole process, but before we'd ever moved, we said, Lord, we don't know what you're going to do. You know, we don't know who's going to be living near us. There's other houses that are being uh, offered up for sale right next to us and around us, and we don't know how the neighborhood's going to work out as far as neighbors. But Lord, that really doesn't matter to us as far as, you know, worried about who might move in. That's, we're grateful for the fact that somebody's living in a house. An empty house is not a good thing. Uh, for us, uh, and no, no opportunity for the gospel there. Well, God's began to give us opportunities. With the, 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 as there's one young couple uh, that we've really been uh, very, very blessed to get to know. Uh, they're not married. They're living together. Yes, this old Baptist preacher, yes, that's it. That's living in sin, okay? But you know what? <laughs> I'm never going to get to talk to them about what the Lord really wants to do in their life if, if right out of the gates I'm harping on everything I can pick out is wrong in their life, all right? They have just as much right to buy, I mean, in a worldly sense, yes, they have just as much right to buy a house in that neighborhood as I do. So you know what? I've, I figured, God, you want me. <laughs> you want me to be a minister, a neighboring, ministering, loving, kind, representative of the gospel to this couple. So uh, uh, one thing I am not really good at is electricity. Now, I respect it, but I respect snakes, but I don't hang around them very much. And this young man is an electrical engineer. Wow. I need lamps, I mean, excuse me, uh, chandeliers hung. Two, one, one over our entry and one over our, our dining room table and, and about three fans hung. Now, I can do that. It's, they've got instructions, and if you read Ikea, I'm sure that's going to be good for you too. But I don't, okay? I don't. And this young man and his uh, girlfriend and, uh, were over, and we started talking, and they said, uh, yeah, I think we can do that. And uh, he said, uh, but uh, uh, Wendy's, Wendy's, Wendy's my financial planning expert. She said, now, now we want to be sure and, and be fair. What, what will you charge us to do that? He said, I'm not going to charge y'all. I was like, I like this kid all the more. <laughs> and, and then she said, but, but we, we don't want you to do that. We're going to do something for you. But, but by the way, have you eaten supper? She, he said, no, we, we hadn't. We've been doing some things around the house, but hadn't started supper. She, she was patting out hamburgers. She said, why don't y'all two come over and uh, eat with us? Our kids had gone uh, to my, uh, my daughter's in-laws, and they were doing some things, and they were going to be in later. The kids were gone. It was just the two of us. And this was uh, Monday evening, the holiday. And so we were just going to have, you know, simple chips and hamburgers, and, you know, just we'd been working ourselves. I'd been planting some uh, stuff in the yard and all that. And she said, why don't y'all just come over? We're, we're probably 20 minutes away from eating. Now, my wife patted out eight hamburgers. You know, if we're real, all real hungry, that's two apiece. This young lady that he's dating, she's about that big around, okay? I mean, I knew she's not going to eat a hamburger, two hamburgers. 
My wife, I know where she's at. She's not going to eat. She's not going to eat two hamburgers. Now I had temptation that I pretty much knew I was going to eat two. Okay. Sure enough, each of the girls ate two. Oh, excuse me, ate one for two combined. I ate two. That made four. That young man ate four hamburgers. <laughs> Now, now he, he's just, I mean, like, where do you put it? I mean, he's just, he's not big at all, okay? And you're saying, what does this have to do with anything we're talking about? I'm telling you, God opened up a door, and he's going to give us opportunity to talk because our kids did come in. Before he got through, they, they, we all got through with eating. And it was really, they need to go to bed. And uh, it was my night, my opportunity that I was going to get to read the bedtime story and the Bible story that we do with them. And uh, so I, I was back in the back, four kids, sort of listening to the Bible story, okay, having a good time. You know what happened? As my wife and these two young people sat at our table, my daughter and son-in-law were taking care of things in another part of the house as well. He was catching up on some work before the work week started this young couple said he was talking really in high favor of this young lady he said you know I I really have a lot of admiration called her name she's not like the other girl she's a good girl she's not wild or doing a lot of things that that just don't make sense she she's ready we're, we're already talking about uh, the future, he said, by the way, we're not married. We'd never ask, never mentioned it. Now, they know who I am, know what I do, but they felt the freedom to tell something that they knew probably wasn't where we are. Boy, I'm telling you, when they left, and Wendy and I were kind of downloading what, what just happened, first of all, I said, where did the hamburgers go <laughs> she's more spiritual she she said explained that and then she said but you know what happened he talked about the fact that they're not married they're opening up they're trusting just a little bit now let me tell you folks I wish I wish that you could just understand how blessed I am that God is doing that kind of thing whether it's in the hospital or in our neighborhood or whatever because people need to understand we don't have to be ugly. We don't, you know, pastor talks about some of the strong convictions we have as a church family. He says, but we're not mad about it. You know, there's a lot of wisdom there. You know, if, if you believe what you believe is right and it's, a, and it's in line with Scripture, we don't have to be mad about it. We can be glad about it. We can be happy about it. We can say, look, like the young man that came up to me Monday. Part of the reason why I was working all the way up to dinner is because I'd come down to Memphis Union Mission on Monday. At 11 o'clock, I speak there most every Monday. And uh, this past Monday, even though it was holiday, no different. And I got the opportunity to share the gospel. Where there, there are a few weeks. Actually, I just said, Lord, I'm, I'm doing a lot of studying on John. I, I, can I preach it twice? And he said, well, sure, son. And so there are a few weeks behind our study here, uh, but I'm preaching through John. And, uh, and I was preaching, and, and a couple of illustrations were about, you know, how sin is, uh, is not 
uh, something that we're, we're, we can say, I was just born. I was, you know, nobody's born a drunk. You know? Dr. Rogers, you say, you know, yes, there may be a propensity toward alcoholism in some people, but you know how you can avoid being becoming an alcoholic, no matter what your predisposition might be, is never drink alcohol. Okay? It's a choice. All right? There's a lot of things. You know, as, as we say, smoking won't send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there. I mean, that, that, that kind of thing. It's a choice. And I said, and some people, and, and you've got to understand the context is, is homeless men. I said, some will practice homosexuality, but you're not a homosexual. You're not a homosexual. You're a person who practices homosexual behavior. And I said, I want to be clear why I'd make that distinction. One says, this is your identity. You, that's just who you are. One acknowledges it's a behavior that you can choose or not choose to participate in. I believe it's a choice. The world wants you to believe it's a nature, it's your identity. And if you stop, you would stop being who you were made to be, that God somehow made you that way in, in many people's minds. I said, no, uh God does not orchestrate what he condemns. God didn't make anyone a homosexual or lesbian or whatever title they want to use as an identity. It is a choice. And listen, listen, you and I all have our choices that we've made. None of us are better than or, 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 or more righteous than anyone else. That's what the problem of the Pharisees was. That they believed they were better even than the Lord Jesus because of what they were not doing or what they were doing or the combination thereof. Let me just share with you. Tonight, Jesus Christ makes this clear. Men and women do not know where they are going. And where they are going, they do not want to go. When they fail to acknowledge they are condemned as sinners from birth, that they are consumed with the world around them. And third, as we've talked about here in verse 25 and 26, they are careless of the truth. They are careless of the truth. This is his claims. Now, I want to end with one more claim. You say, wait a minute, that's not the whole outline. Outline, outline. you know, we'll do that later. Okay? Here I want to tell you. He doesn't lead. You say, boy, that's, that's highly caustic. Jesus really was taking a, a hard line against these folks. But I want to tell you, look with me, if you will, in verse 28 and 29. He does land the punch. He's jab, jab, jab. And now the punch comes in. Verse 28 says, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man. He's talking about the crucifixion. Yes, he's talking about his death, but it's not suicide. It's sacrifice. It's not self-mutilation. It's not self-torture. It's not self, uh, it's not uh, um, euthanasia uh, in the sense of taking your own life by, by, by choice. I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, you know I, I have the right to do this. No, 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 no. Jesus is not taking his life. Assisted suicide is not what happened at the cross. It wasn't death by law enforcement. Jesus willingly laid down his life as the one and only true sacrifice from God for all the sins of all the world.
And as such, when you, he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. <laughs> yes, I am he, the, the one that's been promised is what he's talking about. But he says it in that moment. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know I am. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm God, a very God. That God who loved you, the God who created you, the God who redeemed you out of Egypt, the God who wants you to be a light and a, and a blessing to the nations, by, through you, by your seed, all the nations shall be blessed. That word, by the way, is singular, seed. He's, even Abraham was told there would be one seed, one Messiah, and through whom all the nations would be blessed. That was always God's call upon the Jewish people. But these skeptics, these scribes, these Pharisees, they had missed it for centuries and they had made, come, become self-righteous in their ignorance spiritually. But he says here, Then you will know that I am He and I do nothing on my own initiative. That is, this has never been about me getting my way. I've always come as a ransom, as a sacrifice as the perfect Paschal Lamb, the final Paschal Lamb. It's never been about what I can get out of on my own or what I can accomplish to look at me. I've always been the one who's come at the Father's bidding. Yes, willingly. Yes, gladly. Yes, in concert with the Father, the Son has come. But listen to me. It was never about His own initiative. It was the Godhead in full who planned and provided our salvation. The scripture here says, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. That is not over time, but in a, in a once and forever moment, the, the Father has communicated with the Son and the Spirit, and they all three now perfectly know and always have known in the sense of we, we as human beings, we think, well, there was a time when the Son and the Spirit didn't know. No, there wasn't. But it was the Father in the, in the Godhead who is the one who purposed, and, and then each of the other parts of the Trinity did there. The, the Son provided it, and, and guess what? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness of judgment. He's the, one, he's the one that draws us to the finished work of Christ, the Son. All of this is said that this is what we do in concert with one another. And He who sent me, look with me in verse 29 as it finishes up, He who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now let me share with you, folks. This is, this is what we're seeing. They are rejecting him. They are calling the people to reject him. And in greater and greater numbers, they will have their foothold in the people's hearts. People will begin to walk away as the, the message gets clearer and clearer and harder and harder to swallow. They'll, they'll back away. In mass. But here's what he's saying. I'm not looking to please people. I have an audience of one. And I, don't, I, and I do always that, what, that which pleases the Father. You see, I think that's a lesson for you and me. As I began this evening with the prayer that he was such an example. Yes, he's the wonderful, awesome, matchless Savior. But there is, when you and I are sharing the gospel, 
a call for us. When we are laying out the truth of Scripture, whether it's in an evangelistic moment or it's in a, in a debate situation where we're arguing for truth, or whether it's a conversation over coffee with a friend you've just seen for the first time in maybe years, and you're catching up and suddenly there's an issue that you, you really feel like, I, I, need to, I need to be clear about what the Scripture says and what the Lord's convicted me about that particular issue. You need to remember, just like Jesus had mentioned here, we're not here to please men. But if you'll always do that which pleases the Father, then you'll have never to worry, never to doubt, never to fear that He, look with me, verse 29, that second phrase, He has not left me alone. Now, I, I will say to you, there's never a time when Jesus leaves his children. His followers are always those who he sticks closer than a brother to. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. But you and I, when we are standing for truth, we need to be in that moment in a very guttural, emotional, very soul-level manner aware. I'm going to speak truth with kindness and clarity, not to please the people listening or the people that will hear, but I'm going to say it in order to please the Father. And therefore, I can have confidence that what I'm saying isn't about me. It's about pleasing Him and doing what He's called me to do as well as He called our Savior, Jesus Christ, because Christ lives in me, and now I'm living out the life He would live. And if Jesus were here, He would be pleasing the Father. So that's what I need to be doing as well. Let's pray. Father, even though we didn't get through the whole round, I pray you're blessed as we understand afresh and anew. The need for the gospel is because we are men and women who are condemned from birth because of our sin nature. We are men and women who not only are condemned by our nature, <laughs> but Father, we are consumed by the world. It is so easy to get caught up in the affairs of this life and and to think like the world instead of thinking like the Father. And Father, we acknowledge even now that we're also often careless of what you're speaking into our hearts. And many people, because they're sinners by nature and caught up in the world of, of this world's society, uh, they're truly insensitive to the truth. They're, they don't really care to hear about the scriptures, about the gospel, about a Savior who's come. But Father, we thank you that when you lay people on our hearts, when you put people in our paths to share the gospel with, we can, we can be assured that not only have you led us to that moment, but you've led them to that moment. You've prepared for them that moment of opportunity as we share faithfully and graciously and scripturally what you would have them to hear. Father, help us not to be bashful, but to be bold. Not to be caustic, but to be kind. But Father, help us never to relent from a desire to see people saved and to be, <laughs> and to be excited to do what pleases you best. May we live as God-pleasers, not men-pleasers, indeed. For it's in Christ's name I pray it. Amen.